Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. When uh, I was in seminary, we, we were in New Orleans, and uh, Christina and I, newlyweds, and I was going through seminary. Christina worked at a school called Victory Christian School, and uh, they were the Victory Gators, was their mascot. And uh, she did their pre-K class. Well, the springtime came uh, that year, and they wanted to form a baseball team uh, for the, the middle school. And, um, you know, it would be nice uh, to form a middle school team full of eighth graders, but we had to dip down into, I think we had one fifth grade, uh, a couple sixth grade, a couple seventh. I mean, we just pieced together this team. And uh, we were in the private school league down in New Orleans, which, you, you know, you're playing all these Catholic schools, very established um, in baseball. And uh, so, so they asked me to coach. I said, yes, I got a buddy of mine to help out. And uh, we were the victory gators. And, you know, we take off, we start practicing. And we felt like when your team name is victory, you are already ahead of the game. I mean, when you show up as victory, uh, it, it, it really means something. And uh, then we got our schedule and we realized uh, it, said, it looked like this. Week one, victory versus St. Peter. Week two, victory versus St. Mary. And then week three came along, victory versus Jesus. And we were like, I'm not sure we want to beat Jesus uh, at, at anything. So uh, we laughed about that one. All of these teams had been, had been playing together for years. They were the upper level uh, tournament teams of New Orleans. And like I said, we had a fifth grader on the team and we got demolished every game. Not even close. Uh, one, one game it was close because they walked us every time. My last batter gets up there, and I'm like, if you swing that bat, you're off the team. And I couldn't afford to lose him anyway, so he knew it. Uh, and and he, he hit the ball, got the last out. All he had to do was walk, and we would have tied for the first time this season. Uh, we were the victory gators. We felt like we had a lot to live up to. The problem is we stunk and uh, like I said, I think three of the kids on the team had ever played baseball, and uh, we were playing some pretty tough teams. So the irony in all of that is we would walk onto the field every week victorious because we were victory, and we would walk off the field defeated every week because we could not beat anybody. And uh, we just did not live up to the name that we had. You could say we were all talk and no walk. All talk and no walk. Have you ever heard that before? Talk the talk. If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And uh, we just could not do that with that team. The meaning behind that phrase means that what you say you believe and what you say you will do, you've got to back that up. You've got to live up to it. And uh, when your team name is Victory and you can't live up to it, you need to change your team name. Now, I say all that to say we see this struggle in the church all the time, all the time. Now, and, and, and when, when you see this inconsistency between the talk and the walk, or what is said and how we live, there is an accusation that's made from maybe those outside of the church or from another church that that church is hypocritical. 
And they're basing it off of, well, they say one thing and they do another. So it's valid. It's a valid accusation. But here's the deal. Here's what I think about that. When you're in the business of life change, like we are as a church, where we, we get to see people's lives turn around, there, there is a point early on where the, what we now believe about life has not had a chance to be validated by how we live. Like, and, and we, this, the theologians call this sanctification. There's a process where we, we put aside the old and we take on the new. And in that in-between time, that's when the accusation comes, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites, because what they say is not how they're living. And I think we need a little bit of grace in that. And that's why we need to give each other grace, because we're all on this journey where our, our talk has not matched up to our walk just yet. But it will. It will. Um, there are patterns that need to be broken, things that need to be restored, and uh, nobody is perfect, so we need to give each other a little grace. Um, and if we all were honest with each other, we're all a little bit hypocritical at some point. And even farther down the road, we, we fall back into these patterns that uh, we know we shouldn't be into and we got to get out of. It reminds me of uh, when Paul uh, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, if you've read this story in Acts chapter 9. Uh, you know, Saul at that time was ravaging the church. So when he becomes a believer now, there was that, that in-between time where what, Paul, what we, we've heard about Paul and what we've seen about Paul hasn't quite matched up just yet. And so uh, right after he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, God told this disciple named Ananias to go and meet Saul. And here's his response. Acts chapter 9 uh, verse 10, he says, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man. All right. What he means by that is, are you sure, God? Are you sure about this? Are, are, you, are you sure this isn't a trap? And are you sure this is the real thing? And, and I think that's, that indicates something to us, too, that, that in this search for, and, in, in, and maybe it's just a, a big distraction to say, oh, you know, there's, there's hypocrisy there. It's just inconsistency. Maybe behind all of that is this search for, is this a real life change? Is this faith a real thing? How do we validate what, what I now see in this person's life? Um, how do we know these people of faith are the real deal? And that's where I want to take you to Galatians, because this is the exact struggle that the Galatian church had. How do we know that these people who claim faith in Jesus are the real deal. Now, Paul writes this fiery letter, and, uh, and, and I love it because it's got, a little, it's got a little fire behind it, and he gets a little mean at times, and that's okay. Uh, but his main concern is that the believers in Galatia would live as free people, that they would live free from the law, free from guilt and shame, free to serve one another. That's, that's what the theme that keeps coming up over and over and over. And, um, and he knew that the only way that this would be possible, the only one, there was one possible way, and it was by the Spirit. It was when Jesus changes my life, and he, what he promised in John 15, or John 16, what Jesus promised when he left was, when I go, I'm sending the Spirit. And he will guide you and speak what he hears from the Father. And that is how you will live your life. 
And at that point, it's no longer about what you do and just what you say. It is a life change from the inside out. And Paul knew this. That's what he's pointing out here in Galatians chapter 5. So based off of that, I want to tell you this just to start. Your walk shares more about you than your talk. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5 together, starting in verse 16. Your walk shares more about you than, than your talk. Galatians 5, 16, he says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, this is our famous passage on what we would call spiritual warfare. There are two opposing forces, flesh versus spirit. They never get along, never. They are opposed to each other. Um, and, and we tend to make it confusing and complicated. And, you know, we ask, how far can I go or what, what can I allow in? The two are, are never on the same page. It was as if, as if you hooked two wild horses up to the same cart and then spurred them on. They are not going to work together. They're just going to work apart and rip everything and destroy it. That's what we're talking about, spirit versus the flesh. And he says, walk by the spirit. Now, the, when he says walk, he's talking about, he's using this old Jewish terminology. Your walk is your manner of life, how you live your life on a daily basis. And he says it time and time again, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Be careful how you walk. And so here he says, walk by the Spirit. So there's our guiding phrase. Your manner of life is directed by the Spirit. And uh, that's how we live our lives. And he, uh, so he divides the two. Spirit desires what God desires and the flesh desires what it desires. And so what we have to realize is apart from the Spirit, we will follow whatever the flesh desires. That's our, our default. Apart from the Spirit, we're going with whatever the flesh desires. And, and that's going to cover our mental, emotional, and, and physical parts of our bodies. All of that, it, it works together to create a desire. So the mental part, we think this could be good. The emotional, we feel like we need it. And then we move physically towards it. All of that is working together to create a desire. That's what I love about Psalm 1. 1 says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So there's a progression there. You see it? And I would call this a progression of desire. It, it never really starts with the, that, that, that last where you just sit down and, and you're just in it. It starts with desire, uh, walk in step, that's our thoughts, stand in the way that sinners take, that means we've emotionally attached to it, and then sit in the company of mockers, that's our physical part. He says, blessed is the man who does not, and then he picks it up later, he says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. So, so you will be blessed... If you do not follow the desires of the flesh, but your delight is in what God wants you to do. And that spirit says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that produces fruit. Now, that's interesting, that language, because we're going to pick it up here in Galatians 5. 
produces fruit. Um, but you have to be surrendered to the Spirit first. Now, look back at Galatians with me. Let's go back to the flesh. Uh, verse 19, the works of the flesh are obvious, okay? That means everybody already knows, okay? That means it is not hard to tell when the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So looking at this list, there's a lot on it. But this list is not comprehensive. It doesn't cover every possible way that the flesh can work itself out. Um, there are kind of categories. Some of them are divisive. Some of them are destructive. Some of them are demonic. None of these would uh, encourage, I think Tim Keller says, would encourage human flourishing. That's kind of his term. None of these make life any better. And that's what the flesh does. It never leads you to true life. It has deceived you into believing that you will be better on your own. And unfortunately, pop psychology has kind of muddied the waters on this. Because what's out there is you've got you've to be happy. You've got to find a way to be happy. You've got to, uh, you know, make, find joy and, and follow your desires. And that's kind of muddy the waters. Here, here, this is kind of opposed to that. He says the works of the flesh are obvious, and those who live like that have terrible consequences. See, the flesh creates destructive works. And uh, we can probably find ourselves somewhere on this list in one or two. But don't see this list as, as something that, okay, if I can just avoid what's on this list, then I'm good. If, if I can just avoid practicing sorcery, okay, maybe God will like me a little bit better. No, it's not the point of this list. Um, it is to point out the works of the flesh. It is to reveal them. And uh, good news is you have a choice. We all have a choice. You can gratify the desires of the flesh and the destructive works will come, or you can follow the Spirit. And every choice has a, has a consequence that comes along with that. And the longer these choices carry out, this uh, guy, John Mark Comer, says this, in the beginning we have a choice, but eventually we have a character. That's where our choices lead us to, character. And um, every choice digs deep into your soul and shapes you. And there are terrible consequences with uh, following the desires of the flesh. He pointed out there... Um, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's our consequence. Now, I'm not saying that you messed up one time this weekend and you have lost out on all of the blessing of God. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what this is saying. He's saying those who live like this, those who make a practice of such things, those who consciously know I am operating by the flesh, and, and continually choosing to do the, that and, and maybe even leading others in that. If that is our pattern of life, then uh, we have to visualize the outcome there. That's what he's doing. We, we miss. If, 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 if I, as 
a father can visualize how this affects not just me, but my family. And you as a church, when I operate by the flesh, it changes the game. You've got to visualize the outcome. So what do we do? How do we conquer this flesh? How do we, how do we get rid of that and operate by the Spirit? And jump down to verse 24 with me. It says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified. Where have you heard that before? Easter. When Jesus was on the cross for us. These works of the flesh that we allow into our lives, that is what Jesus took to the cross to forgive you and to forgive me. And every time that we operate and allow the works of the flesh to be evident in our lives, that is what he took to the cross. And that should break your heart. To realize that was my sin that he took on the cross. Um, You have to crucify the flesh. And once you crucify the flesh, you have to feed the Spirit. It's not just about doing away with the old. You've got to take on the new. You've got to feed the Spirit. We're doing the freedom study in several of our life groups, and it's awesome. One of the weeks in there, he talks about this. He points this out. He says, when our bodies are hungry, they get loud. They let us know, like if you're physically starving, like some of you right now are. Your bodies are reminding you. But here's what the Spirit does. When, when the Spirit gets hungry, it gets really silent. It, it almost just kind of fades back a little bit. And that's why you have to be intentional about feeding your Spirit. Remember verse 17 says this, The Spirit desires what is against the flesh. It's a, it's a completely different operating system. So I can't think the same by the Spirit that I do by the flesh. It, just do, it does not work that way. Um, I have to think differently in order for it to make sense. I have to accept truth. So with with this, I want to give you just one quick example. In the area of forgiveness, the flesh is going to say this, I will forgive you if you fill in the blank, if you apologize first, if you make it right, if you pay me whatever you owe me, I will forgive you if... That's what the flesh says. Here's what the Spirit says. I forgive you. I've been forgiven, so I forgive you. And, and I'm not saying that, that that means reconciliation happens right now. That, that's a whole other uh, sermon in itself that we'll, we'll get to at some point. But just to point out the difference between the flesh versus, versus the Spirit, there's completely different operating systems. Spirit wants what is true and what is good and what is lovely. And so at that point, the spirit has to lead the flesh. The flesh is going to want to get revenge. But we've got to let the spirit lead. It's kind of like um, when uh, cowboys have to break, and I don't know much about this. I've seen it like once. When they break like a young horse, like when they get it ready to ride, they call it breaking the horse. And and what they're doing, I saw this demonstration one time. It's fascinating. They they have to... uh, ultimately get that horse to accept that he is under the authority of the rider. 
right? He is no longer in control. So, so they work to build trust. They work to, you know, let that horse know, okay, this is a safe person, and he knows what he's doing. He knows where he wants to go. And ultimately, the horse accepts that I, I don't, no longer get to operate like I used to when I was younger. But I need to do what this rider wants me to do, and that is what the Spirit has to do to the flesh, that we surrender and we submit the spirit of the flesh to that spirit. And so when we see problems in, in our life, we have to realize this is, and we're people, we just want to fix problems really quick. But we have to realize these, these things that come to the surface, these works of the flesh, that is what they are. That is, that is at the core. Is, this is a work of the flesh. I am, I am gratifying the desires of my flesh. And so whatever that problem may be, your kids are being bad. Well, yeah, they're, they're being bad, but ultimately they're gratifying the desires of, of the flesh and they need to surrender to the spirit. Best they know how. You need to lead them to that. Your spouse, well, they're being selfish. Yeah, they're being selfish, but ultimately they're just like you and they're wanting to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so you let the spirit lead in that. And that's our prayer, is that we, the Spirit would lead. Don't we want that more than just to be less bad or to be less selfish, but to be Spirit-led? Because here's what the Spirit does. It produces the characteristics of God in our life. And, and this language is really intentional, and I love it. In uh, Galatians, jump down to verse 22 with me. It produces fruit. The, the, the Spirit produces this, these characteristics in our life. Where the flesh manufactures works, the spirit produces uh, the fruit there. It says, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So this is what is produced in us. These are characteristics of God. And I get this because my first job, grew up in Ruston, first job in high school. We got out of school in May sometime. And uh, I got hired on at, at a peach farm over there in Ruston. That's what you do when you're from Ruston. You know, there's peach trees everywhere. And so we spent the whole summer pruning the peach trees. And, and I had no idea how much work goes into it. It's really exhausting. And, and you can over prune like the, uh, the, the branches. And all of a sudden, I didn't realize a peach can get sunburned. You don't want that. If you under prune, there's not enough sunlight getting there. So all the nourishment doesn't get to it. And, and, and then peaches, sometimes they'll grow in like clusters and you have to pull off the bad ones so the good ones can grow. There's just work all, all summer that goes into this. All for the one purpose that, that all of them, as much nourishment as possible, can get to the fruit that is produced by that tree. And, and over and over, sometimes we'd have to go back through and, and check the trees to make sure because there's all the time stuff popping up, little shoots that come up to try to take away uh, from, from the tree producing fruit to its full potential. And our spirits are the same way. Uh, Matthew uh, uh, 12 says this, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. We see this theme all through the Bible. And, and we see it because fruit has to be cultivated. It, has to be, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes the right environment and the right circumstances 
for it to, to produce. Jesus taught his disciples this, uh, John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing or you can do nothing without me. So, so what is it that we may have allowed into our life that is taken away from producing this fruit of the Spirit in our life? It's a works of the flesh. And so your job is to prune out the stuff that's taken away and uh, that, that, that God would begin to produce in you these characteristics that he's given to us. And here's the thing about fruit. Fruit is, the fruit of the Spirit is a gift from God. We all know you know, the farmer goes and prepares everything, but ultimately it is God who brings the harvest. And it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. When it's produced in our lives, we want to rush this, but it takes time and it takes nourishment. And you got to prune away the bad, prepare for the, the good. And then at the time that he has set, the fruit is ripe and, and the harvest is plentiful and we get to share that with other people. And what do you do when you harvest fruit? Do you set it up on the shelf? no. You make a big old peach cobbler and you share it with everybody at lunch and everybody talks about how good that peach cobbler is, right? You share it with other things and that's with other people. And that's uh, the other thing about fruit. The fruit from the spirit is a blessing to other people. You walk in the spirit, the flesh is starved out, fruit is produced in your life and it's evident. Take a look at what, what the, the list there. The first is love unconditional love, the same love that God has poured back to you, all right? That's the love that is produced in you towards others. Joy, and Paul highlights joy over and over. He says the Spirit makes us joyful, peace that goes beyond circumstances, that the world has no clue how we, how we have peace when we suffer. It comes from the Spirit. Patience is the ability to wait in perseverance. Kindness is gracious actions towards imperfect people. Goodness is usefulness, excellence, and moral integrity. Faithfulness is being reliable, trustworthy. He is faithful to you, and you are faithful. Gentleness is humility, not driven by anger. And then self-control is restraint in order to be in harmony with God's will. Now, isn't it interesting where we start with the works of the flesh are obvious and we end where the, the fruit of the Spirit brings all of that into self-control, under, under restraint in order to be in, in harmony with God's will. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And here we are right back where we started, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh now. The only way to walk in the Spirit is you have to first surrender to Jesus. Like I said earlier, He died on the cross, He rose from the grave, and sent us His Spirit. But you have to surrender to that. Um, and when you do, all of a sudden you realize I'm not the same person anymore. I used to be a person that... Uh, you would say was destructive because of the works of the flesh, but now I'm a person who has the fruit of the Spirit, and it's evident. Um, a few weeks ago, one of our guys here, Jason Bankston, um, had an issue with a guy at work. The guy had messed up bad. And Jason was his supervisor and brought him in, and uh, he said something, told him, 
you just need to pray for this guy. You just need to pray for him. So he did, brought him in. Um, he prayed for him. And then he invited him to church. And uh, so he came with him. And that Sunday, he came down and surrendered his life to Jesus. The next week, Jason baptized him right up here. And, and while we were back here, he said, he said, Cody, I'm going to tell you something. If that was two or three years ago, this is a different story. The Spirit changes us, but we have to surrender to Him. You don't have to operate by the works of the flesh any longer. So there's the invitation to you. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Are you walking in the Spirit? If you've been surrendered to Jesus for a while, maybe you've allowed some works of the flesh to pop up in your life and you need to surrender those this morning. That's my prayer for you. And uh, so as we pray together, I want you to pray with me, all right? Maybe you need to surrender something to God. So as I pray, you pray. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. Uh, we're thankful that you have not left us alone, but you have poured your spirit uh, into our lives. And so we come to surrender to you this morning, whatever that means. Maybe it's for the first time. And if it's the first time, I, um, I'm thankful for that. And I just know, God, we come before you as best we know how. And we lay everything at your feet. We believe that Jesus is the way and we need him for our salvation. Pray that that is the case this morning. But maybe we just haven't been walking in the spirit and this is our encouragement. I pray that from today, in this next week, in the next few months, you, you would begin to bring those fruit uh, back into our lives and be evident to others and we would share with others. We thank you, Lord. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.